great to see you this morning. I'm glad that you're here as we get to talk about today Ephesians chapter 4. You have your Bibles? Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going today. We're starting a new series. The new series is Benchwarmer. Get into the game. Now, I don't know if uh, any of you watched football yesterday, but it was a good weekend to watch football. Today, we actually, yeah, it was a good weekend for some. Some teams we didn't do quite as well. Um, we have the Cowboys playing today. Hopefully, uh, we'll see what happens, won't we? <laughs> it's, 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 it's football season. The sports are back in, and it's an exciting time. And so what we want to do is we want to talk about this idea of getting into the game. You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever tried out for a team? Have you ever tried out for one of those teams? Maybe it was in middle school or high school. Maybe, maybe it was your kids who tried out for one of those sports. Or maybe it was trying out for, to be on uh, in the band. But you tried out. And there's this anticipation. You go and you try out. And there's lots of other people around. And after you try out, you're not sure if you made the team or not. And then there's this fear. Am I going to be on the team? Am I not? Am I going to get cut? And so you have to go through a couple practices, a couple days, and then after that, all of a sudden the names are going to be posted. And as the names are posted, your heart either gets really excited or your heart completely sinks. And this idea of, can I even be on the team? Michael Jordan, one of the most famous basketball players, he tells of a time when he was a freshman and he goes out for his team, his high school's uh, team, And he actually fails to make the team. He gets cut. Can you imagine cutting Michael Jordan? Well, at that point, freshmen, they didn't know who he was going to be or what he was capable of. Michael Jordan retells that event, and he says it was that event that sent him home. Yes, he was disappointed. Yes, he was frustrated. And it was in that moment that he had to decide, do I really want to play or not? And he said yes, and so he started practicing and practicing and practicing so that he could make the team the next year. And he said it was that, that, that event of getting cut that helped put the fire into his gut, and he began to understand failure and what failure is and how that it's good for you. He later on, after uh, his career ends, here's what he said. I like this quote. He says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. That's a lot of shots. He said, I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot, and I've missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. I love that quote. So even if you have been a part of that team, or maybe you, you made the team, maybe you were cut, there are some people, who, when you look at them, and you look at their bodies, and you see these professional athletes like LeBron James, you know that they were designed to actually play ball. LeBron James is a guy who stands at six foot eight. He's been in the news a lot. He weighs 250 pounds, and he can jump 40 inches in the air that means his feet come from the ground up 40 inches can you imagine 250 pounds six foot eight guy jumping 40 inches it's amazing some people just have the bodies that you know they're designed to play so the question becomes for each one of us what are you designed to do what are you designed to do have you fulfilled it You sat back and you began to ask the question, God has put you on this earth, you're alive and you're in this church in this moment, and the question becomes, what has God designed you to do? Have you done it? Have you fulfilled it? Well, man, I'm I'm living my vision right now, I'm living my dream, and maybe some of you are saying, it's not here yet, but I know it's coming, it's going to be there, it's in the future. Maybe some of you are saying, Heath, 
My dream is in the past. It's over. I've already, I've already done it. Been there, done that. Now I'm just retired and I'm waiting to die. Please don't say that. You're saying, wait, I've already fulfilled what God's called me to do. I'm just kind of waiting around. And here's, here's what I want us to look at today. And here's where we're going. Is that as long as you're alive, you have not been called to be a bench warmer. To sit on the bench and do nothing. As long as you're alive, God has called you to do something. I remember visiting a, a, a path at one point. I was his, um, his dad. And so I went to visit the, the older senior pastor. Um, he was in the nursing home. And this man had, had done many crusades and many ministries just around the world. And God used him in incredible ways. And I would go and I would sit and I'd visit with him and we would talk about ministry and he would just talk with me and as we were walking he, through just life. And I just would ask him questions about ministering overseas. I'd ask him questions about doing crusades and I'd ask him these questions about just God using him. And, and as we would talk, there was one point he, he stopped. He said, you know, he said there are points where I'm, I'm just in a nursing home and it feels like I'm, I'm useless. It's like everything has been in my past and that there's nothing to even look forward to now. And then he says, but then when Satan gets after me like that, he said, then I remember that the greatest weapon that I have right now is that I can pray. And then he turned to me and he said, Heath, I'm praying for you. And here's what I'm praying. He said, you remember that passage where it says that the old men will dream dreams and young men will have visions? He said, I'm praying that God would actually give you a dream and God would give you a vision and help you understand what you're called to do and be. He spoke into my life and he prayed and his ministry in a nursing home radically impacted a 22-year-old man. Young man, boy, whatever you want to call it. And so what I want to do today is while you may feel like this is maybe not your time, I pray that this series helps challenge you and encourage you to be and to do what God has called you to be and do. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes to the Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, even if you don't, I'm going to ask that you stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll place the, the words up on, on the, the screen so that we begin today. Ephesians chapter 4, here's what the Bible says. I'm going to start in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of you according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. He gave gifts to men, and saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this today. I thank you for your love, your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. God, I thank you for the chance and the opportunity together with other believers. We do not take this lightly, and we truly 
Thank you for this freedom that we have. Now as we go into this moment and into this time, we ask for your Holy Spirit's freedom to move and to work. God, would you speak to us today? We need to hear from you. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd give us the ears to hear. And then God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in such a way that you would give us the courage to act and to live out what you've called us to do. In Jesus' precious, precious name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. All right, if you have your bulletins, you can pull, that, pull out. I have notes in here for you so that way you can kind of follow along and know where we're headed and know what we're talking about. I'm going to draw your attention to verse 4, and our first point is this. God has selected each one of us to be on his team. Look at verse 4. Here's what it says. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope. I love the fact that he begins to walk us through, and he says, okay, I've called you. I've called you, and I've selected you to be on a team. He starts in verse 1, and he starts with a very large picture. He says, I've called you. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Now, Paul's writing, and as Paul's writing, he's not just using a term to highlight a just an easy phrase, an easy word to make it sound good for his ministry. Paul is truly, right now, this is considered one of the prison epistles. What that means is this, the prison letters, is that Paul literally is in jail, whether it's in a house jail under house arrest or in prison. Paul is under arrest. He's waiting the trial. And as he's writing, he considers himself not a prisoner of Rome, but a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He says, this is who I am. This is who my identity is. And he says, I'm calling you to actually walk worthy. And he says, he begins to lay out. He says, I want to show you something in verse 4. Now watch how many times the word one is used. One body. What's the one body? There's one team. You're introduced. You're grafted in. It's not Jew, Gentile. No longer is it male or female, rich or poor. There's only one body, one church, one church of the living God. He says there's one body, one spirit, the spirit that actually brings you in, makes you part of the brotherhood, the family of God, one spirit that leads and guides and directs and says, this is who we are. This is what you should do. This is what you should not do. He leads, he empowers, he guides us, one. And he says, you were called. Look at what he says you're called to. Verse one he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, we can talk about calling for a while, and we could spend really, truly an entire message on this calling, but I want to draw your attention very quickly to it. This calling that you have been called, he's he's wrapping up, and Paul, what he does is in his, his, his book, the first chapter through the sixth chapter, verse one of chapter four is really the crux of his entire argument. He says, this is who you're called to be. You're called to work, walk in a manner. What manner? One in which you have been designed to walk. This is you personally. This is not just for the pastor who's called to preach. This is a call to every believer that you are to walk in such a way at a higher level. You have a standard, and that standard is it. I am a prisoner. I am a Christ follower. I am one in which I have had the blessings of God poured out on my life, and because God's grace has touched my life, then I should walk in a new way. I should walk different than everyone else. I should be different. I am different. And he says, this is your calling. That if you are a Christ follower, you claim the name of Jesus Christ. There should be a vivid difference in how you live your life. He said, there's one calling. 
Then he continues on. Look what he says. One hope. Aren't you glad for the hope? Oh, man, it's a a hope that sets us free. It's not just a maybe God is coming back, maybe that God is going to save us. It's actually we know for certainty because Jesus died on the cross. We know for sure we have this hope that God is doing a work in our lives. He continues on. He says, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Isn't that amazing? You begin to break that down and you talk about it's your identity, it's who you are. There's one God, one Savior that we're going after. He begins to say, he says, here's what it is. You have been called, and because you've been called, you've been selected to be a part of God's team. Not just any team, God's team. I love the fact that I've been selected. I have a new identity, I have a new family. I have been called to be a part of God's team. Have you ever seen the NFL draft? The draft days where they, 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 they put it up and they make it such a huge day where these, these, these young men, they're sitting around, they're sitting at tables and they're just hoping and waiting for their name to be called. Please, please, let me get in. Let me, and and they're, they're so excited. And then once their name's called, then they put the hat on, then they strut across the stage, right? And they're, yes, I'm a part of the team. My name has been called. I now have a new identity. No longer am I a college player, but now I'm a professional player. This last week, many people actually across the nation set up fantasy football teams, leagues. Now, I'm not asking if you did. not going to even raise that hand. But maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. But fantasy football basically is where a group of people will, will select players from multiple teams, and they kind of compete on how well they played and what they did back and forth. I was listening to ESPN Radio this week, and they were talking about setting up their fantasy football leagues. And then they asked the question, somebody, one of the hosts asked the question, is fantasy football gambling? That was an interesting question. Why are we talking about gambling? What? And so they start asking this question. And one guy argues one way, one guy argues another way, and they go back and forth. And finally they open up the phone lines so that people could call in. And some of the people were saying, no, it's not gambling, it's just fun. And then this other guy calls in, he says, well, he said, I don't really consider it gambling, I just consider it fun. He said, and they ask him, well, are you a part of any teams? And he said, yes, I have, I'm involved in 10 different leagues, and I spent over $5,000 to get involved in those leagues. And then the host was like, wait, time out. $5,000 for this league? You, you probably have a, an addiction. You probably are gambling at this point. And it was really, it was kind of wild to think about how much people want to be a part of something. Now stop and think about this for a minute. We crave a greater identity. And what Paul is writing to us right here, and he's setting it up, and he says, you have been selected. You have a call upon your life. And there's only one team. It's either God's team or it's Satan's team. There's not two different ones. And if we're a part of God's team, he says, I want you to know that you're here, and it's one, and it's unified. And you have been selected. You, 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 you. Heath by name, you by name, and we can start going through the list. Your name, you just fill it in. God wanted you on his team. He selected you, and he says, this is your call. This is your call, and no one can take it away from you. Satan's in the microphone today. Maybe I'm getting too excited. No, I love, I love Ephesians, where he, he begins to walk us through it. He says, This is who you are. Stop playing around. Stop fighting back and forth. This is your call. And then he continues on. So not only are you selected, but now watch what happens here as we get into verse 7. He says, but grace 
was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Not only were you selected to be a part of God's team, now watch. God enables you to do what he's called you to do. It's by his grace. There's a change here. You see the word, very first word in verse 7. It says, but. He moves from the larger concept. He says, now I'm going to make a transition. I'm not just talking about the larger one team. I'm not just talking about what God has called all of us to. Now he slims it down and he gets right to the individual. And he says, but you, you, you're going to be enabled. And look what he says, but God's grace. Isn't that the gospel? It's only by grace. It's God's grace to impart. It's God's grace to move. It's God's grace that he says, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to work anyway. You don't deserve the blessings I'm about to give. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and you start walking through, he begins to lay out all the blessings that you and I receive as believers, that God blesses you with all these spiritual gifts. And it was preordained, it was predetermined that God was going to work in your life. And not only is he going to give you this, this is by his grace. You can't earn it, you can't get it, you can't be good enough for it. It's because God chose to give it to you. What an amazing thing. And look what it says. And the God, but God's grace was given to each one. Do you see the individual? Each one. I have to stop here because here's where it gets frustrating in life. You begin to try to do something for God and all of a sudden you just just get beat down. And Satan starts whispering words into your life and says, you can't do this. You're too old. You're too young. You don't have the gifts. You don't have the talents. And he begins to tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't do what God's calling you to do. And he says, but God's grace was given to each one. So I'm speaking to people in the room that you've probably had to battle excuses. Excuses of feeling inadequate, inferior, feeling like there's just no way. God just doesn't seem to want to use you. And what I'm trying to get out to you is this, that God is still wanting to use you. It's you as an individual. Not just the entire Christianity. But God is wanting to use you. And where this gets so hard is that the more you try to do for God and then you experience failures, you experience friction and frustrations, you step back and you say, man, I just don't know, God. I just don't know if you could use me anymore. I'm, I'm worn out. I'm beat down. I just, I can't go any further. And you look at people and you look across the room and you go, well, they don't feel that way. They've never felt that way. And you just step back and, and you're going, well, if God, obviously you haven't called me to this, what, have, what, have, what can I do? I'm just a school teacher. I'm just a retired person. What, what can I do? And so we feel inferior. I had a guy who sat across from me today, uh, this last week, across the table with a cup of coffee, and we were just talking. And he, he, he just resharpened and focused, and he said this. He said, Heath, you realize, do you realize that God, when God has called you and when God has enabled you, he's going to give you exactly what you need. And until you finish, until you fulfill what God has called you, you cannot be touched by the enemy, by Satan. He can't do it. He can't touch you until God says it's over. Think about that. It's an amazing moment when you realize that your God is big. And he has called you. And he's called you to do a work. 
And you step back and say, really, if you really want me, and you, go, you can walk through all the inferior complexes, all the, I just don't know, God, if you can work or not. And God says, I've called you. I've called you. I've called you. And this is you as an individual. I've called you. So stop letting other people determine where you're going. Stop allowing other people to stop, step on you and say, you can't do this. You step up and say, God, by your power, by your glory, this is for your cause. And God, I'm going to allow you to work through me however you see fit. It's your work. So God, here I am. And now watch what he does. He says, it's for you. And then he does something amazing. Paul says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Think about this now. So God's called you. He's enabling you. And here's what he's saying. I'm going to enable you to do exactly what I've called you because I've measured it out according to the grace that you need from Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give you the exact portion that you need. The exact portion. He doesn't promise to give you what somebody else had. He doesn't promise you to, to have the, the grace and the gifting of Billy Graham, but he promises to give you enough grace to do the job he's called you to do, and he's measured it out. Now, I, I like this because you start looking at professional athletes again. Let's just look at these guys. We've got a picture up here. that uh, uh, Have you ever noticed how big some of those guys are? Some of those guys are 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, you know, 350 pounds. And, you know, they're benching 500 pounds, and they're throwing weight around like nobody's business, and they're huge. And then you see a guy, them standing next to a guy who's five foot eight, and they weigh 180 pounds. They, there's no way that their bodies are the same. They couldn't do the same job. Follow this. But according to the, each measure, the coach puts them in the exact place that they need to be to help the team win. Are you following this? So somebody would say, hey, Heath, you know, I just don't have that much to offer. I've, 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 I've taught a Sunday school class. That's all I can do. It's not that big a deal. Yes, it's a huge deal. Heath, all I can do is I can stand at a door. But that's really not that big a deal. How amazing to hear people on guests come through and say, I just want to let you know, Pastor, your church is extremely friendly. I was greeted at the door. I was, somebody held the door open for me. Somebody held the door open. Well, then I came into the the sanctuary. As I was leaving, people were talking to me. It's almost like some people jump across the pew just to get to me before I get out the door. And it makes a huge impact. Now listen, you're not called to have the same grace and gifting as everyone else. But God has called you and God has gifted you for exactly what he wants you to do. And it might look a little bit different than somebody else's, and that's okay. Can you imagine a big lineman, six foot seven, 350 pounds, trying to run a route for a receiver to catch a ball? Those guys can't do it. Man, they can't even really get down the field 10 yards without huffing and puffing. But man, you put them in the right position to guard the quarterback? Oh my goodness. All of a sudden, now the quarterback has time to be able to make the pass. And the call is this. Not only did God... It's Paul bringing it down. He says, yes, God selected you to be on the team. But God has enabled you to do exactly what he wants you to do. So my friend, when you start feeling inferior, you rebuke the devil who's whispering in your ear and you say, nah, -uh. 
my God, by God's grace, by Jesus Christ's power, God's grace has already been measured out to me for exactly this moment, and I'm going to do whatever God has called me to do. Number three. The next part is probably one of my favorites. Because every gift must have someone who's paid for it. Verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10 tells us why God has the power to actually give you the gifts. See, God now says, I'm going to give you the opportunity to play. And not only am I going to give you the opportunity to play, I have the right to give you that opportunity. See, when you start thinking about NFL players, and I know many of you are saying, you know, I don't really care about football, and that's okay if you don't. You can kind of just maybe stay with me for just a little bit longer. The NFL, the NFL commissioner says that once a player has been drafted, and they actually make it to, through the first two cuts, the first two rounds of cuts, and they actually play on game day. They make the roster for game day. They say they, on average, the NFL player lasts six Point six years. That's not very long. That's their career. The NFL Players Association, they actually say it's not really that. It's 3.3 years. So here's what you have. You have players who make the team. You have players who make the cuts, and they get all the way to game day, and then you still have those who just barely even get into the game at all, and they only last anywhere from three years to six years. And here's what happens quite often with Christianity. You trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You get on fire for God. You serve for a little while. And then you sit down and say, I've done my time. I'm finished. and It's over. But here's where Paul is setting an entirely new standard. He says, you've been given an opportunity. And it's a gift. It's by God's grace. And you've been given this gift because God graciously has done something miraculous. Now, there are different price values in gifts. Some gifts are extremely valuable because of the monetary amount that it costs. There are some gifts that are extremely valuable because of the time that was put into the gift. There's other gifts that are just valuable because of the person who gave the gift. I have some, um, some of my most prized possessions I have in a file cabinet that are from my kids. When they've sat down and they've drawn a picture for me, or they've made a card for me, and they've taken their time, their efforts, and their energy, and they put their thoughts onto paper, and then they present it, and they say, Dad, here. And it, it, it would not mean anything to you. You'd say, oh, how cute, oh, how nice, and that's about as far as it goes. But to Dad... Oh, man. Oh, I, I wouldn't trade you for it. I wouldn't trade you for money. There's no amount of money that right now I would say I could take for those pictures. Because I could never get them back. It, they're now older. They're not three anymore. They're not two. They're not five. They're precious. Let me show you why this gift that God has given you to play, to be selected, to have the opportunity to play is so important. Watch what Paul does now. Paul always ties it back to the gospel. Watch what he does in verse 8. He says, therefore, what's therefore? Anytime you see the, that word in the Bible, you have to go back to and see why it's therefore. You remember hearing that? If you see a therefore, go back to the previous verses and understand why it's therefore. So here we go. 
Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led the host of captives and he gave gifts to men. What did he give? He gave gifts. How did he give it? Because he ascended on high. This is a phrase out of Psalms chapter 68, verse 18. He's quoting a victorious hymn. And here's the imagery. Paul begins and he says, I want to show you, I want, to, I want you to understand why this gift is so important. This opportunity to serve, this opportunity to be on God's team. That you've been enabled to serve. Why this is so important? He says, okay, it's a victory hymn. Here's the image. David has won. They have just won. And as they've won, they take the Ark of the Covenant and they, they, they come marching back into town. And as they march back into town, here's what's going on. They bring the captives, those who were their own soldiers. They were captive and held captive by other enemies. They, they're now in the procession going down through town. The Ark of the Covenant of God is actually out in front. And as they ascend up into the mountain, they're shouting to everyone, Our God is bigger than your God. Our God is great. Our God is the God of all nations. Our God is victorious. And as they're shouting, now you see the captives, the soldiers who were held Prisoners of war, they have been returned, and now they're coming back through. The people are shouting. Now you have the, uh, the war, the, all the extras, all the things that you won. The spoils of victory are now being perceived. Look how great we are. We've just conquered the enemy, and look at all the bounty and the booty that we've been able to bring in, and they're proceeding, proceeding right through the middle of town. And then this is where it gets exciting. So everybody's seeing what's going on. Everybody's shouting, the Ark of the Covenant is coming back up to its mountaintop. It's ascending back up. And he says, our God is great. And here's what he does. Paul is tying this in. He says, you want to know why you have an opportunity to serve? You know why you have the gifts? You know why you're enabled? Because God gave you an incredible gift. He sent Jesus from on high down to this earth. And he descended to this earth. He lived among you. And watch. And as he lived among you, then he went to the cross. And on the cross, he died to pay your sin debt that you could not owe. And then when he died, he was put into a tomb. He descended once again into the earth. First Peter chapter 3 tells us what happens during the three-day period. That Jesus actually goes down to Abraham's bosom, proclaims that you are now set free. All captives that have been held there Are you listening to this? That death no longer has victory. That death no longer has power. And he proclaims to the evil spirits, Satan, you have been defeated. It is not your victory anymore. And when Jesus rises again, tombs are opened up. And those who have been in the Old Testament, who have died and gone before, now they're being proceeded right back through Jerusalem and the streets. And now they're ushered back into heaven, saying, King of kings, glory and glory. They're released. The captives have been set free. And he ascends back on high. Now, And now he continues to do the work for us, setting us free. The captives who have been held by Satan, sin, death, our own lust, our own cravings, our own desires. And we have been set free because of what Jesus did on the cross. And now he ascends and he's giving us a gift, not only of salvation, But now to say, go out and do what I've called you to do. You've been given an incredible gift. And it cost God dearly. 
It cost Jesus dearly. But now he's victorious. And the gates of hell cannot and will not ever prevail. So you say, Heath, really? I've been selected for God's team? Yes, you have. Really, me? Yes, you. Well, I just don't feel like I can. You've been enabled by the Holy Spirit's power. Well, how do you know you can actually trust this? (laughs) Because Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. He's already shouted victory over your life. He's already shouted victory over Satan, death, hell, the grave. And Jesus has already won. And now he's only simply doing a gracious act by inviting you to be a part of what he's called us to do. So the question becomes, you've been designed to play. You have not been designed to stay on the bench. You have been designed to play. You've been empowered to play. And the victory's already been won. That's pretty good odds. Can you imagine going in for the Cowboys going in today saying you're guaranteed a victory against the 49ers? Woohoo! That'd be pretty big, wouldn't it? All you have to do is just show up and get onto the field. And once you get on the field, victory's yours. Now, time out. Victory's already been declared, the work's already been done. You're just invited to enjoy the ride. So let's get involved. Let's do something for God's kingdom and not set back. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, can I just encourage you? Today's the day. Jesus has already won the victory. Stop running from him. He invites you to be forgiven. He invites you to get it all taken care of, to be right with God. And he gives you blessings along the way. He wants to give you his love. And it starts by you simply saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And you ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Let's do that today if you haven't done that already. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory for what you have done. We celebrate how great you are. We celebrate how mighty you are. That you've already claimed victory. And we say, Jesus, thank you. I pray that you would help us, help us to walk worthy of what you've called us to. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Would you please stand? The music's going to begin to play. Michael's going to begin to sing in just a moment. This is your time. Whether you choose to pray where you're at, maybe you choose to pray down at the front. Maybe you want to talk about salvation, baptism, new membership, whatever it is that God is calling you to do. Let's take care of that. And then when you're finished singing, uh, finished praying, I would ask that you join in singing the song as a praise to our great God.
I'm going to ask the men to come forward and help us receive the offering. The offering is something we get to do as a way of giving back to God a small portion of how he's blessed us. I want to say thank you for your faithfulness and being willing to give and participate in what God's doing. When you give, it allows us as a church to be able to do the ministry that God has called us to. And we want to say thank you for partnering with us. Uh, Also, if you would, be so kind. Take the connection card. Put that in the offering plate that's passed. If there's something that you would like to tell us or maybe a special prayer request that you might have. Sam, would you lead us? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you created us to be participants and not bench warmers. To be active in your kingdom's work. You have given each one of us the ability to do something for your kingdom. Regardless of our age, regardless of our abilities, you have given us the opportunity to be on your team. We thank you for that. Bless now the gift and the giver that your kingdom's work might be ongoing here and around the world. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We have a video to watch us. Well, good morning, everyone. Here are some important events coming up at the Oaks. Are you ready for midweek Bible studies to start up this Wednesday? There are many options available, and we're certain that you can find one that will help you in your Christian journey. Women's Bible study is from the Beth Moore series and is called Children of the Day. The study is based on Thessalonians 1 and 2, and they will meet in room 221. You choose either of the two meeting times, 9.30 a.m. or 6.30 p.m. Men's Bible Study is the fourth edition of the 33 series, and it is called A Man and His Work. They will meet at 7 o'clock p.m. in room 220. Veritas, which means truth, meets at 7 o'clock p.m. in the sanctuary. This special study is a co-ed class led by Dr. Heath Marion, and it will be meaningful for everyone from college ages and up. Financial Peace is a program by Dave Ramsey, and it is designed to help you plan and manage your family budget. This class will be meeting at 6.30 p.m. in room 124. Celebrate Recovery is a 12-step program to help people manage the struggles of life. This is an ongoing group here at the Oaks, and they meet each Friday at 7 o'clock p.m. in the attic, which is upstairs on the east end of the church. It has been a wonderful day of worship, hasn't it? God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Let me draw all your attention to a couple more things. We do have our new Journey magazine. If you have not had a chance to pick that up, it's right outside. I want to let you see that. It gives you some highlights of, um, of the different ministries that we've had going on. And it gives you some special reports of the church. Plus, you see some of the upcoming events. And hopefully, you can get those in your calendars and make sure that you are participating in that. One last thing. In your worship bulletin, today you have a sheet that looks like this. It says, Ministry Opportunities. Here's my, my plea. Take it, pray over it, and ask God if you could be one of those people. Some of these ministries are very low commitment, meaning low commitment. You just have to show up 15 minutes extra on a, um, 20 minutes extra on a Sunday morning, and you can stand at a door. It It doesn't take you a whole lot of time to greet people. 
There's other ministries that take a little bit more time and you'd have a little bit more preparation. There could be just volunteers to help. Our church runs on volunteers. It's not a one-man show. It's not a two-person show. It's actually a group of people, volunteers, who make this church work. And so right now we have, this is our time where we just encourage you to begin to look at opportunities. It's front and back, so don't forget the back. Look at those. Those are actual needs. We did not inflate these. We actually put needs and said, this is what we need. Here's the numbers. And we began to write that out. And so this is the staff who are willing to talk to you and interact with you regarding that. And so it put your name on the bottom. If there's one of those things that you would like to do and you already know what you would like to do, you circle it, put your name on the bottom, um, drop it off at this table right here in the middle. And we will make sure that we get you contacted. And if you are some of those positions, you might even be starting to serve as early as next week. We could get you involved and get you training and get you going, all right? Thank you for being here. Let's have a prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for this day. God, I pray that you bless. I pray that you would move in our hearts and lives. And I pray that your grace would be evident in our lives this week. In Jesus' name.